Welcome to The Joe Cohen Show. Join me as I share my experience with biohacking and invite top health experts to explore the latest technology, supplements, research, and resources for optimizing your body and brain. So dealing with anxiety, we shall get started. Okay, so some questions here. Is anxiety genetic? Basically, yes. Anxiety is very heavily genetic. And as people know that if you have one parent with anxiety, you know, generally people with anxiety either have a parent or a grandparent with anxiety. And that's because these things do get passed down. Now, obviously, there's something called epigenetics and there's a lot of things that you could do, right? You're not necessarily born with anxiety, so it's not completely genetic. But yet we know that there's a very large genetic component. Now, Genetics doesn't mean that it's fixed. That's a common mistake that people make. It just means that there's a tendency to express certain genes in a certain way, which increases the likelihood of anxiety, especially when people are not doing things to counteract that, right? So if you're not changing the tendency, if you're not changing the expression, then it can lead to anxiety especially with a hectic world that we're living in. And, uh, you know, people should know that anxiety and trauma and mood issues, they tend to, you know, and depression as well, they tend to go together. They're, you know, it's, it's under mental health. So often people don't just have one issue. It's, it tends to be grouping of these kinds of issues. And that's why we have reports on not just anxiety. We also have mood report. We also have a trauma report. You know, they're not exactly the same, but there are some similarities. So they can lead to many different health issues, right? So we know that, you know, people with anxiety, they can live less longer because stress is the number one killer. It can cause cardiovascular issues, it can cause sleep issues, you know, anxiety and stress. Stress is the difference between anxiety and stress is that stress is the product. I mean, stress is in one way to define it is you know, you're getting incoming stimuli from the environment. But the way that your brain perce perceives that stimuli is it could either be in a calm way or a stressful way. When an individual has anxiety, they tend to perceive and take in the information in an anxiety-inducing way. So anxiety is really, you know, it, it's basically, it's a name for how, you, there's different names for how we perceive the outside world, right? So there could be two individuals. One person can perceive something in a very positive light, in a very you know relaxed way, and another person can have a panic attack from it. So you know, some person might do a startup, might have a startup, and they might be very stressed about it. Some people would be exhilarated by the by the unknowns, right? So that that it's it, you could have the same exact situation, but the response to that situation is very different. And so, you know, that's why it's really, a, a lot of it is very biochemical because people are getting the same stimuli, but the brain's neurotransmitters perceive them. They cause the brain to perceive them in different ways. The, the, the biochemistry of the brain causes the brain to perceive them in different ways. Then they, it activates your amygdala and it causes you to have anxiety and stress. And again, like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, if something isn't deadly, then it shouldn't really cause you too much anxiety. If, you, if you're going to live, if you're going to be okay, then most of the things that we're anxious about 
are not deadly. They're not going to, you know, have some huge ramifications in the rest of our life, generally speaking, right? So there are some situations where that can happen, but generally speaking, we, we, we that isn't the case. It's, it's just, you know, it could be uh, we're insecure about something, but it, it, most, of the, most of the time it's, it's uh, the way we're perceiving it. So having anxiety can dramatically limit your potential because, you know, there's a lot of talk about around limiting beliefs. And I don't, I generally don't like these kinds of things. I, I, th I think, I think it is an issue, right? But I, I, I like to think of it in terms of more like if someone has an anxiety or they get stressed a lot, they're more likely to lead to limiting beliefs. But you really have to go to the root cause of what that is rather than try, you know, mindset hacks, which, which are kind of like band-aids and very, only very temporary. You really have to go to the neurochemistry. So, but, you know, if you're having a lot of limiting beliefs about a lot of different things, if you're very insecure, if, you know, that could lead to a lot of bad decisions in life. It could lead to missed opportunities. So anxiety, you know, it did limit my potential for a while. And there's different kinds of anxiety, but essentially it did limit my potential for a while. And I was very afraid to do a lot of things. I, I was very paralyzed by anxiety. And that was a big problem. And when I overcame it, I was able to do a lot more. I mean, you know, because again, you people can be really anxious or stressed about many, many different things. And it's really how you perceive it. You know, what your brain does to the incoming stimuli that is the most important. So it does, it is very common, but, and it doesn't go away on its own. It's important to know that it, it's not something that you could just do a mind hack and it's going to go away. It's not something that you can, you know, it's, it, it's a chronic thing that you really have to change your brain chemistry in a long-term way. You have to develop a lifestyle and a regimen to change your brain chemistry. So it can be addressed with natural and personalized approaches. So while it doesn't go away if you don't do anything, it does go away. I mean, it can go away. It can definitely get better if you introduce natural and personalized approaches. So it's something that needs to be managed over the long run. And if it's managed correctly, then it, it it's basically can be, you can even be in a much better situation than someone who never had anxiety. So here's some of the uh, supplements I take for my anxiety. And, you know, I take 5-HTP. And, and again, I want to, this is a personalized regimen. This shouldn't be something that individuals say, okay, Joe is doing this. I should do this. These are good recommendations in general, but they, they, they should, you should look at some of your personalized recommendations and, and follow those as well, right? So in terms of the 5-HTP, what that does is that it increases serotonin, and I have a lot of serotonin-related genes. For example, the TPH2, which it creates serotonin from tryptophan. It creates 5-HTP, essentially. And then there's a TERT gene, which is a, a, a transporter related to serotonin. And then these these serotonin receptors. And so I have a lot of genes that I found in my reports and that, that have to do with serotonin, lower, you know, inefficient serotonin system. And so I started to take 5-HTP as a result of my genes. Before I saw my genes, I actually did not take it. I took it once and then I said, okay, forget about it. But now I've been taking it every day for quite some time since our mood report came out, actually. So that's, it's something that, you know, I always knew about, but I didn't take it until I saw it was relevant for me. 
Lithium ortate is very good if you have clock genes that are related to mood. So this is in my mood report. Then there's butyrate is really good also for these serotonin genes. And it's also good for GABA-related genes. I didn't, I, I do have, so I do have a GABA gene here as well, which is, I, sh I should put GABA here for butyrate, but essentially, you know, butyrate is really good for serotonin, GABA-related issues, and also GSK3 beta as well. And so butyrate is really, really good for me. I noticed a, a very good impact from it. So, and then fish oil, butyrate is also really good for BDNF. Fish oil is, is good for BDNF and also some inflammation genes that I have. Zinc is good for GSK3 beta. All these, I found these in my reports, by the way, just so you know. And then there's CBD oil. I have a cannabinoid receptor gene. This is FAAH, and I also have CNR1. I didn't list all the genes here, but the, you know, FAH and the CNR1 is why I take the CBD oil. And then there's the Bacopa also helps. It helps with the GABA gene. So a lot of these butyrate will help with GABA as well. So, you know, a lot of these will help with more than one gene. And then, but Bacopa also helps with the serotonin. HTR is a serotonin two-way receptor. And so that is why I take these supplements. And these are, I've been taking these for a while. And, and I find them to be very, very helpful. Now, I also do some lifestyle stuff. We can, we're going to go there. I try to get sun. Sun is also, and light is, is very good for the serotonin genes that I have. And this is the resistant start shake. And then I exercise as well. I think exercise is also important. And then in the evenings, I'll do some blue blocking lights. And that's because melatonin is very important for my mood. That has to do with the oxytocin receptor and some other things. And CBD oil is also, again, good for inflammation. It's, it's, good, for, it's good for a lot of other things like the, the cannabinoid genes as well, FAAH and the CNR1. So those are two, those are some important genes for me. And, um, you know, if, 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 if you think that the genes are very complex, then all you need to do is look at the prioritized recommendations. So you don't have to worry about getting too much into the weeds. I like to know these things personally. But yeah, so yoga and aromatherapy, it's also good for oxytocin and GABA. So I put, I could put like lavender oil and then I try to go to bed earlier than later. Not always that successful, but I try. And I, and I find that's good for my mood as well. And I try to sleep as much as I can, which is usually about seven to eight hours. I don't consume caffeine or alcohol and I minimize plant-based lectins. And uh, yeah, so my genetic results actually from the food sensitivity reports and some other things told me that uh, lectins are not good for me. I already knew that happens to be, but I was able to verify it. Okay. Now, building your own gene-based regimen, you number one is you want to look at your anxiety-related genes, your mood-related genes. You want to download the reports. If, if Again, I mean... You know, everyone can do their own thing. I think it's very important to understand what your blueprint is so that you can know your biochemistry, right? I mean, you could just take random things, but it's helpful to understand what your brain chemistry is like and to take things that are, you know, more tailored to that, right? You want a personalized approach, but the, the recommendations there are good in general. And you want to, so you want to find a supplement diet and lifestyle recommendations that will address your problem genes and that are good for anxiety. You don't just want to target the genes without making sure that the recommendations are good for anxiety as well. 
and you want to then track your changes as best as possible. I would like to get to people's questions and I would like to talk about what issues people are having, discuss, you know, different things, different questions. And me and Dr. Gray can answer some of these questions. So let, let's get through some of the questions here. Time-restricted eating, role of caffeine. I think caffeine is generally not good, but it, but it does have, it does depend on your genes. So some people have genes where it doesn't impact and some people have genes where it does. In terms of time-restricted eating, I think that's probably an individual thing as well. I don't know if there's a, a, you know, a general broad approach, broad stroke for whether that's good for anxiety. What do you think about that, Dr. Greg? I, I like the 16-hour fast, eight-hour eating window. If, if you're eating too frequently, you may lead to dysbiosis. And if the dysbiosis would lead to possibly increased LPS, which would be pro-inflammatory, which could exacerbate anxiety in some individuals. I mean, that goes back to the butyrate thing too, because we want to make sure our gut microbiome is good. So we're making healthy, short-chain fatty acids, good, good amount of butyrate. So I think just making sure we're, we're eating within a window would be beneficial. Right. That's, I, I would agree with that. Okay. So what are the most potent natural forms of medicine available for severe ang physical anxiety symptoms like shortness of breath? You know, so these things are, you know, the, the physical symptoms, you don't want to worry too much about the physical symptoms because, you know, when you talk about shortness of breath, heart palpitations, shaking, these are symptoms of an overactive nervous system. So it's not about the symptoms as much as it's about to, you know, calming the nervous system. So everybody has different system, symptoms of anxiety and, the, and an overactive nervous system as well, right? Not everyone gets heart palpitations, but you want to go to the root cause, which is the overactive nervous system. What would you say about that, Dr. Greg? I was actually looking at it yesterday that a mindfulness meditation is one of the best methods for, at least for mindfulness practices. And actually it was as good as cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a common thing that people are recommended for anxiety. So definitely mindfulness meditation. And, and, if, and if you can't find someone to do guided, there's several apps that you could use. The one I like is Headspace. Another one is Calm. They'll kind of just guide you through the mindfulness meditations if you're looking to kind of come down from a a panic attack or some breathing episode. Okay. And uh, someone asks, best supplements for quick relief of generalized anxiety disorder? Best supplements? Well, so I love herbs. And so one thing, there's lots of different herbs. They have action on the GABA receptor. And so I, I think just to make a note, GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. Glutamate is an excitatory one. If we have an imbalance in those, we may have overexcitation without relaxation. And so lots of different herbs work on the principle of activating that GABA receptor through, there's, there's a bunch of different subunits on the GABA receptor, but, and there's several, but just for example, a couple of them, so Scutellaria skullcap, that's one I really like. Melissa officinalis, that's lemon balm. That's another one that has a GABA receptor activity. Ashwagandha. Kava is a really potent one, although you got to be careful because sometimes I could mess people up with liver disorders. And valerian is another good one. So there's lots of different herbs I like that are help to stimulate the GABA receptor. That's kind of, that's my personal favorite means of kind of relaxing myself. Okay. So 
Somebody asked why methylated B12 and methylfolate can make anxiety worse. What do you think about that? So you, you don't want to over-methylate because then you'll kind of throw off your methylation cycle. And so in those individuals, and also our meth, methyl, methyl groups are going to be inactivating things that are excitatory, like whether it be norepinephrine, epinephrine, dopamine. And so we want to make sure that we have enough methyl groups to kind of bring those out of their acting cycle, but not so much that we're kind of pumping them up. And so, and one trick for that is niacin. And so one thing you could do is if you have too much methyl donors, niacin will kind of help to remove some of those methyl groups. Actually, when you urinate niacin, it is completely methylated. Another one I like is glycine. Glycine will be eventually become trimethylglycine. And so it will actually remove those methyl groups. So if you, if you feel like you're overmethylating, niacin and glycine, two, two ones I really like. Okay, great. So somebody asked, can old trauma create anxiety in the future? And the answer is yes, which is why it's something, it might be a good idea also to look at your trauma report. If you, know, if you have your genes, I think it's a good idea to identify any genes related to trauma, because I do think that you know, these traumas can exacerbate anxiety. What do you think about that, Dr. Greg? Absolutely. And sometimes there's a triggering event that may trigger a memory of something that happened in the past and somebody may not even be aware or, you know, it could be repressed. And so not until that triggering event happens, does that kind of come into their mind and they might not even be aware of it. They just feel anxiety. And that's where if you go through with somebody who could kind of work through those emotions and have you recall, well, what was bringing up these feelings, would you then be aware? So absolutely it could come later on in life. Yeah, somebody asked, how does this cannabis intake affect genetic susceptibility to anxiety? CBD is sometimes overstimulating for anxiety use for me. How do the endocannabinoid genes affect intake? So as I mentioned in the slides, there's the FAH gene, which basically increases, it, you know, when that breaks down the endocannabinoids. And CBD inhibits that. So it actually, CBD increases the natural endocannabinoids are natural cannabinoids. And that's, that's one way that CBD is good. And it also, so it's, it's possible if somebody's saying that it's leading to anxiety, it could be that they're taking way too much. Usually it's very rare that CBD causes anxiety, it's, but it could be that if they're taking too much, it also blocks the cannabinoid one receptor, which in the short term could be good for anxiety. But in the long run, what it does is it increases those receptors so CBD is kind of like also good for the long run, but in the short run, if you're blocking too many of those receptors, it could be, it could theoretically increase anxiety in the short term. But I've, yeah, so, but otherwise CBD is, is, is a good supplement and you want to look at your genes for it and to make sure that it makes sense for you. Do you want to hear about the one health hack that is sure to change your life? Okay, here it is. Subscribing to this podcast. 67% of listeners aren't following the show, so please don't forget to show your support by hitting the follow button now. You'll not only be supporting the show, but also investing in yourself and your health journey, all while helping to keep us ad-free. Dr. Greg, is supplementing with GABA for a COMT AA genetic variant a wise thing to do, or could it lead to other issues? Well, so there's several COMT variants, so I'm not sure which one specifically. I'm assuming that's going to be a slow COMT variant. 
And so I feel like you would be treating the symptoms. Well, it depends on what they mean by supplementing with GABA. If they're stimulating GABA or whether taking supplemental GABA, so it's kind of different, but that would kind of be treating the effects of the COMT, but really you want to target the COMT directly. A cofactor for COMT is SAMe. You want to make sure someone's not overmethylating if you're taking SAMe, but let's say you're not. I would say SAMe would be a more direct target for COMT rather than taking GABA. Okay. This individual asked that they have ashwagandha. They're taking a bunch of herbs, ashwagandha, andrographis, astragalus, 5-HTP, L-theanine, and GABA. And I'm curious as to what supplements might be more efficacious. Honestly, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but you do have to look at your genes. From what I'm aware, I don't, just looking at these, I don't think astragalus or andrographis are very effective. For me personally, ashwagandha does not work at all, even though for a lot of other people, they find that it's effective. And GABA supplements do not work at all, and L-theanine does not work at all. So that's for me personally. These don't really come up in my reports, so that kind of makes sense. GABA, I don't think GABA itself passes the gut barrier very much. I've, I've taken very large doses of it, and I haven't noticed any effects. So I'm not sure, even if the report shows some issues with GABA, I don't think that would be the best thing to do. I would go with Bacopa or, you know, Rolora, Hanokiol, these things, you know, Magnolia Bark is, is, is the, the main herb for that. But, you know, so Magnolia Bark, and I personally like Bacopa as, as one of the best for GABA. Which GABA supplement, GABA increasing supplements do you like, Dr. Greg? So one thing I like to mention with people is parasympathetic versus sympathetic activity. Sympathetic is the fight or flight. Parasympathetic is the rest or digest. I'm taking sub, I'll, I'll drink caffeinated things that will kind of stimulate my system, which is because it helps me get up, but it's not good because it actually will decrease the parasympathetic. And there's actually GABA receptors in our intestinal tract. And so I'll actually use chewable GABA, which will bind to the receptors. And I find it's coming to my intestinal tract, which again, through the gut mediated means could help decrease anxiety indirectly that way. So I guess if you're going to go for GABA, maybe try the chewable and see if there's any benefits from that. Otherwise, again, I like to go back to making sure you're getting adequate vitamins and minerals, not excess, which can cause anxiety. And then the herbs are my preferred ones. Okay. Somebody asks, how is estrogen and hormones implicated in anxiety? What, what would you have to say about that, Dr. Greg? Sure. So for several, several genes, we need estrogen in order for it to work. And so one thing we haven't talked about yet is COMT and MAUE, which I think is very important. And so COMT is catechol-O-methyltransferase. It's going to help degrade some of these excitatory things, norepinephrine, epinephrine, dopamine, and monoamine oxidase is going to break down monoamines, which it's similar things that it breaks down. If these are slow, it doesn't remove them from our system quickly enough. And so you have elevated levels of these which can be excitatory, which can lead to anxiety. If you have too little estrogen, if, if you already have a slow sniff for COMT or MAO-A, estrogen is going to make it go even slower. And so that's why you want to make sure you have adequate estrogen levels because you will decrease the slowing of a COMT or MAO-A. Sounds good. So somebody asked that they love socializing and... They get extremely anxious. However, they get extremely anxious as if someone gave them a shot of adrenaline and it takes them a while to calm down. 
I think what you just said has an impact on this as well, because we know that, you know, people with certain MAOA variants and COMT variants, they, you know, they could leave, you know, more neurotransmitters in the system for longer. They're not breaking down. And this could keep the brain excited and it makes it harder to calm down. There's, I know for MAO, MAOA specifically, there's genes that make it, you know, basically one of the associations is that somebody gets upset, it makes them hard to calm down. So you want to actually check out that gene as well, MAOA and COMT. What would you think about that, Dr. Gray? So it was interesting. They actually used a CBD in a study to test whether it helped people with socializing and social anxiety, and it was extremely effective. So I would say possibly consider CBD to see if that kind of helps. Does anxiety turn into hypertension? Yes, it definitely can. One of the, this is why, one of the reasons why it can turn into cardiovascular issues. People are, you know, I have another question here about cardiovascular functions. Again, you know, can it lead to cardiovascular issues in the long run? I, I did read one study where people with lots of anxiety and stress, it's possible to, you know, they can live 10 years shorter. And there's definitely a significant increase in cardiovascular disease. Now, you don't have to worry about that so much. So first of all, you know, a lot of people are asking about cardiovascular, they're asking about sleep, and this kind of shows how the body's connected in different ways. So, you know, you have an individual can have anxiety, they can have, you know, they could be worried about cardiovascular then, and then all of a sudden they're worried about sleep issues. Just F an FYI, that Self-Decode does have a sleep report, it has a cardiovascular report. So if you are worried about these issues, we do have reports related to them as well. But in general, I think, you know, th there's a lot of talk about mind-body health, and I think making sure that your mental health is stable is probably the most important thing that you can do for your physical health. And so I think it's very important. And again, it's very hard to change. You know, you can't just will to get rid of anxiety or any kind of, you know, mental health issue. It's really just the way that your brain chemistry is interpreting the outside events that are coming into your brain and, you know, it's triggering your amygdala. So you really have to change your neurochemistry. Someone asks, is anxiety emotional or physical? Again, it, it's, I wouldn't classify, I mean, it has physical effects. It has emotional effects. It makes it seem as, you know, you, you, you know, the, the, it has both, it's both, but it, the, the key is that whether, you know, it, it's really, it's changing your perception. And then it leads to a whole cascade of events after that, that have a whole bunch of changes in the body. You know, your cortisol, your HPA axis, your nervous system, they're basically connected to their whole body. And if your body keeps on thinking that, you know, you're running from a lion, it has, your body changes in a way that, you know, makes it more likely that you'll survive in that situation. But it's, it's not as good for the long-term health, right? You can have food sensitivities. There's basically a bunch of issues that can come up. So I, I noticed that, that it's very common that people get food sensitivities after anxiety as well. And we do have a food sensitivity report as well, just FYI. But I, I do think the mental health is really the, the starting point. You, you want to get that foundation you know, set. You want to make sure that, that you're as stable as possible. And the way to do that is to change your biochemistry. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be only with supplements, just to be clear. It could be things like yoga, could be things like, you know, whatever, whatever you find that your genes are telling you is good for you. I think it's important to try those things out.
So someone's on a diet and the food cravings are so bad, it's causing anxiety. You know, the, the funny, the interesting thing about anxiety is it could come, there are so many different types of anxiety. A lot of people with anxiety don't even know that they have anxiety because, you know, they might not associate it with like, you know, there's typical symptoms, but then there's not typical symptoms, right? And then some people might get racing hearts and they, they, they might not even realize that their nervous system is so activated or that they have anxiety sometimes, which is, you know, you want to, a good thing to check is your heart rate, your heart rate variability. And, and anxiety is probably a really good proxy of, of your sleep. If, if you're sleeping, like usually people with anxiety or an, an overactive nervous system don't sleep very well. And if you're sleeping very well, which I track my sleep every night, but if, you know, and, and I'm able to get like really good slow wave sleep, really good, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty good in all aspects. And, uh, and it's really important that my nervous system is balanced or else my sleep will take a hit, you know, and not only the short term, also the long term, you can build sleep habits. You know, if I'm stressed a lot, or if I have a lot of anxiety, you know, in the past, I would wake up in the middle of the nights. Whereas now I'm able to sleep throughout the night because my nervous system is just more calm. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't just overactivate as soon as I, you know, as soon as basically it's able to calm down my neurotransmitters, my biochemistry is able to counteract the effects where, you know, if certain things happen, then, you know, you have neurotransmitters just staying in and your, your brain is just overactive. It's not able to calm itself down. And again, that's not something that you can easily, that you can consciously control. Why do panic attacks happen at random times, not during the time when you are under stress? So this is a really good question. I like this. And the reason I like it is because it goes to show you that anxiety, so stress can trigger anxiety. There's no question about that. But anxiety also can trigger stress. Right. And, and anxiety can also happen when there's absolutely no stress whatsoever. You could be in paradise and deal with significant anxiety. And, uh, you know, you might not even realize it. This person's having panic attacks. They're probably not even realizing. They're probably thinking, hey, wait a second. I, there's no reason for me to be stressed. So why am I feeling like I'm having trouble breathing? It's because the, the, you know, the person's biochemistry is a certain way that they're not able to calm down and regulate their nervous system. And that causes changes in breathing, causes changes in a whole bunch of issues. And, and that's why you could feel like you're getting a panic attack. Is anxiety associated with cognitive decline? It certainly is. Yes, anxiety and stress and the mental health is definitely associated with cognitive decline. We know that cortisol can shrink the hippocampus, the memory center. And even short-term anxiety and stress also have significant effects on cognitive function. The nutrients that are depleted when stress isn't managed properly and its relationship to anxiety. So one of the nutrients is magnesium. And I think that's, you know, that's something that people should look in, into if they're chronically stressed. Even if I'm eating right and some exercising is, done, is being done, also how COMT and MTHFR SNPs play into this. So we discussed COMT and we discussed a bit of methylation that, it ha you know, how it impacts anxiety. So methylation does, you know, it, it, it impacts all the neurotransmitters, as I understand. And so I think it's very important. 
What do you think, Dr. Greg, about the nutrients and anxiety? So I think you hit the nail on the head. Magnesium is a big one. And magnesium is a cofactor for a lot of the different enzymes or receptors that people could have genetic variants to. So if you have a certain genetic variant, you definitely want to make sure you're getting adequate amounts of magnesium. One example is oxytocin receptor. Low oxytocin binding can increase anxiety. And so another I like is B6. And so serotonin is also implicated in anxiety. B6, for a lot of different reasons, people could be deficient. And so I think B6 is another one that kind of, if it's too low, can cause anxiety. And then zinc as well. Zinc is a cofactor for a lot of enzymes. A lot of people are zinc deficient and it's associated with anxiety. So, Yeah. And, and as Dr. Greg said, you know, magnesium, if you have one of those oxytocin variants, right, and that is increasing anxiety, definitely want to even be more careful about magnesium. And also we have a vitamins and, and nutrients, a minerals report, where you can see if you're more susceptible to different minerals and deficiencies. So if it shows that you're more deficient in magnesium, then you want to be even more careful about that, right? So the body is complex in, in, in a lot of ways. And so you want to sometimes get a holistic picture, but that's why we have these different kinds of reports to give you different perspectives. But, you know, it's also good to know some basic things like, you know, magnesium, you can get depleted if, if you have chronic stress. How to stop anxiety from being felt in the body as physical pain. So this is an interesting thing because a lot of physical pain actually stems from mental health. And so there's a lot of genes that have to do with the, you know, some of them have to do with the serotonin receptors. The serotonin is, 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 I think, is one of the mechanisms where it's related to the mind and physical pain. What else do you know about, for example, as, I'm, as I understand, you know, as from what I can remember, COMT, for example, is something that has an impact on physical pain, meaning the same variants that cause physical pain also are associated with anxiety. What do you know about that, Dr. Greg? That was actually the one I was going to mention was COMT is one that if you have a slow COMT and you have elevated levels of these things, and as you mentioned, serotonin specifically, if that's too high, then you will feel the increased pain perception. And so you want to make sure your COMT is working good and being able to clear those excess neurotransmitters out of the way. So can chronic fatigue ever be healed along with inherent anxiety? You know, there are some genes that are related to both right? So the bodies connect in a lot of different ways. So one of those is the HTR, the serotonin 2A receptors. They can cause fatigue and it also is associated with anxiety. So there is an overlap. And also if you're anxious a lot, that can also make you feel tired in the day. So it's one of the ways that it can limit you, right? So if your nervous system is active a lot in the day, it can make you feel like, oh man, I'm, I'm like really tired, but what did I even do today? I haven't you know, ran any marathons. I haven't, you know, worked like crazy in the past, you know, two weeks nonstop. Like you, you might be sleeping, but you, it, it basically it's like this weight around your neck that without it, you'd be able to have way more energy and, and uh, you know, do way more things with your life. So it's really important to keep that in mind that if you're just getting tired, you're feeling tired, the, the, you know, your nervous system, your mental health, definitely has something to do with it. I mean, not definitely, likely has something to do with that. It could be also you have chronic inflammation from something, but but mental health, I find, is, is one of the biggest triggers of chronic fatigue. And also, when I had a lot of clients, you know, I've, I always asked them, what did it come after? 
and I asked them, you know, they, they always, almost 90% of the time, they would say that they started to get chronic fatigue after a large bout of mental, like, stress and anxiety. And then that kind of dysregulated their nervous system, right? And their, their circadian rhythm, and it could, like, you know, maybe cause trauma. And then after that, you can, you can have, it could be longer term, right? And, and it could mess things up in certain ways. So, you know, mental health is something that people should definitely pay attention to. It's not something to just say like, okay, this is the way it is. You want to make sure that you're doing everything you can, taking the, the most personalized approaches. Dizziness from anxiety and panic attack. That's one of the things that's, it's a common symptom from, you know, people with basically the nervous system has a lot to do with your balance. And when that is out of whack, that could cause dizziness. A lot of people with dysautonomia or, or problems with their nervous system, they'll feel dizzy a lot. So, and also when you have anxiety, you know, it takes away blood flow from specific parts of the brain, it, you know, it, it, at the very least, right? So your higher level level thinking, like your prefrontal cortex is not working as well as you know, your limbic system is more activated. And that's probably where the blood flow is going rather than you know, the parts of the brain where it's, it's regulating balance, things like that. What would you have to say about that, Dr. Greg? So yeah, I think that's one thing we need to mention is there's some causes of anxiety that could just be not as much as we would consider traditionally mental emotional. So for example, arrhythmias. And so, and a lot, some people are saying, well, I feel these palpitations in my chest and that could be a mental emotional connection, but it could be an arrhythmia. And so that's one thing you would have to roll out with your doctor to make sure that there was nothing with the heart that was actually causing those, those, those breathing episodes and the panic attacks. And, and two more things, hyperthyroidism. And again, there's lots of genetics that go into hyperthyroidism. Maybe you have a a predisposition for having increased thyroid function, but excess of thyroid function can cause anxiety. And another common one is calcium dysregulation. And so if your blood calcium levels are off, that could also bring about anxiety. So those are three big ones that you would just want to rule out if there you have an onset of anxiety, especially suddenly. Okay. So somebody's trying, somebody asked here, trying to figure out how to overcome a sense of doom, even with successes. I can't even enjoy myself. I'm afraid to jinx, my, jinx myself, right? So like I've been saying, I think the first thing in overcoming mental health is to realize that there's nothing that you can think about that is going to overcome it, right? You just have to approach it in a way that, hey, wait a second, what, am I, what did I do today that is influencing my mood, right? So if your mood is not good, then you have to look at your... Like it could be that you're working 20 hours a day and you're not sleeping and your life is a wreck, right? Possibly. And, and so, I mean, you want to fix those things or you could, you know, you, you, your life could be somewhat normal and you just say, Hey, well, I just, you know, I have anxiety in, in which case that it's, it is a biochemical thing. Either way it's biochemical, but if you're not sleeping, you know, if you're working 20 hours a day and you're not sleeping and then, you know, you're, you have anxiety that's kind of like normal, whereas most people's biochemistry will change in such ways to make you more on the edge, right? So, but, but I mean, I, everyone has some kind of, you know, everyone has the, you know, the, the biochemistry that could make, you know, the, the, it's kind of like a bell curve, whereas like how much you have to push yourself 
or be in like, you know, very stressful situation to get high levels of anxiety, right? So, you know, nobody, nobody's going to work 120 hours a week and just feel calm, right? It's just not going to happen. So, but on the other hand, if you have a normal life and you're just like, okay, I'm not overworked, I'm sleeping, or I'm trying to sleep at least, right? You're going to bed at a normal time, but let's say you could also be having problems with anxiety, so you might not be sleeping. The point is, is that you, the first thing is to make sure that you realize this is biochemical and you then ask yourself, how do I change my biochemistry, right? What are the things that I can do? So you could do the generic stuff. If you want, we, we do have, I mean, you could look at generic recommendations. I think that's better than nothing, right? Or you could also look at which specific biochemistry is off. And I think, personally, I think that that's the best way. You want to know yourself. You want to know which genes are giving you issues. And, and then you want to try things to counteract those that also that you also know are good for these mental health issues. And so you don't want to blame yourself because it's really not something that you can control with your mind or it's really a biochemical thing that that needs to be changed with biochemically and things like yoga, breathing exercise, a bunch of things can help. And a lot of these things have broad impact. So you know, it could help. You know, it could help without looking at your genes. It's definitely possible. But you want to, if you want to, I, I personally feel that the mental health is so important. There's no, you know, there's no amount of money that can just say like, oh, it's not worth it or whatever. And obviously, we're giving. You know, these things are not out of reach. You know, it's 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 you know, it's it, these things are affordable. But the point is, is that you know, these. You want to use the tools that that allow you to overcome your, I mean, if you find, think about it this way, if you find things that help you, these things can really help you for the rest of your life. It's not just a one day thing. So even if it takes a while, I, I, mean, I, th I think it's very important to find those things to change your biochemistry in the right ways that allow you to live your best life. Okay. Now. Someone asked about interested in anxiety and impact on tinnitus. We know that tinnitus has very uh, is very connected to the nervous system as well. So I think there is probably a reasonable connection there. What do you think? Uh, are you familiar with tinnitus very much, Dr. Greg? Yeah, so I think two things. One, limbic, limbic system act, overactivation. And so if you have excessive limbic system, like your amygdala is overactive, that can subsequently lead to tinnitus. And also blood pressure dysregulation. And so if there's lots of blood pressure change fluctuations, that can exacerbate the tinnitus blood pressure brought on by anxiety. Okay. Yeah, that's, I would agree with that. So my, somebody asked here, my problem is that I'm not anxious, but I get the physical symptom, symptoms of anxiety, which then makes me anxious. So in that case, I hate to break it to you, you are anxious, but we have a bit of a different definition for that, right? So anxiety doesn't have to, you don't have to think that you're anxious, right? If you're getting these physical symptoms, it means that your body is not able to calm itself down. doesn't matter if you in your brain think like you're anxious or not, because that's kind of almost a, there's different, how you perceive your current state is, is almost a different thing than your actual current state, right? So you can be in a very anxious state, but not perceive it to, to be in that way. Your, your nervous system could be overactive, but you might not perceive that to be the case. So perception of your current state and what your actual biological state are could be very different. And what's important is to 
understand that if, if, if you have the physical symptoms of anxiety, then either you're having a lot of inflammation or more likely your body's biochemistry is, is functioning in a way that you're not able to break down neurotransmitters, your, your receptors are not working as efficiently as they should be. And so you need to do things to overcome that. Okay, so somebody mentions here, most of my anxiety seems from sleeping. I wake up with a loud heartbeat and to anxiety often progresses to urgent need to urinate and figured was related to biochemical in my body at night after a bug bite last week, also waking with severe itching, wide awake at 2 a.m., then tired at 5, 6 a.m. What do you think, Dr. Greg? So I don't wonder about apnea in this situation. If somebody is they're not breathing at night, that could cause anxiety. And sometimes that is kind of how it happens is somebody will stop breathing and then they'll kind of come back. And then that there is a compensatory heartbeat increase to kind of get the blood flowing because the heart is sensing that there's low oxygen in the blood. And so that's one thing. And then the second thing I wonder is also arrhythmia. Could that also be playing into it as well? And so again, I think as a rule, rule out any type of underlying medical things. And as far as the apnea, you could get a sleep study done just to see if that is actually occurring. Rule that out, and then you could kind of move on to the other stuff to see what are the other factors that could be associating with that. Yeah, and another thing is hypoglycemia. I forgot about that, right? So if you are getting hypoglycemic in the middle of the night, that could cause a bigger anxiety rush, right? Meaning like, yeah, hypoglycemia can trigger the nervous system, right? And so it could be a bigger trigger if you're getting that hypoglycemia at night, in which case you need to balance your blood sugar, right? So we have a blood sugar report. You can look at that. You want to do things that improve metabolic health. So th there's not that many options though, right? And even, yeah, I think like blood sugar is, is a big one. And, and the ones that Dr. Greg mentioned are also important. Can you comment about 5-HTP causing extreme nausea? Yeah, so serotonin can cause nausea. It's, and that's because the, the nausea, the way you get nausea is through the, the serotonin 3 receptor, which is concentrated in the gut. And the anti-nausea drugs actually block that receptor. And so that's, and ginger, for example, also blocks that receptor. But usually you can get by that if you're taking 5-HTP on a full stomach. So if you're eating, if you're eating a meal and you take 5-HTP, you can get around the nausea. If not, then it's just not the supplement for you. Is 5-HTP good for those of us with this MAOA gene since the MAOA activity levels are already low and higher levels of the neurotransmitter could cause anxiety? So I want you to look at the reports in particular rather than necessarily specific genes. I mean, looking at specific genes is more of an advanced thing, right? If you have a practitioner that is guiding you, they can look at specific genes and make that determination. Otherwise, your best bet is to look at the reports and look at the self-decode blog. There we break things down in a much more simple, you know, we, we break down in a much better way that everybody can understand it. So it's, you know, I mean, unless Dr. Greg, do you have any off-the-cuff answer for that? Yeah, so I believe that would be a slow mouth. That would, if that's what they're saying, I would need to look at that that snip they have there, R six three two three. But if that's slow, 
then how that would be causing anxiety would be elevating the levels of neurotransmitters because that enzyme can't clear it out. Monoamine oxidase, it oxidizes it, it gets rid of it. And so in that situation, you actually wouldn't want to take 5-HTP because you should theoretically have elevated levels. And so I would want to make, I would, you know, again, you would, you should look at all your SNPs really, because that's going to be, how's your COMT? How's other things that are affecting these? Exactly. And so I would look at the whole picture rather than just focus on one thing. Are amalgam, are amalgams, mercury, dental feelings, a possible cause of anxiety? What, what would you say about that, Dr. Greg? We could do a whole several series of webinars on environmental exposures that would be increasing, not just anxiety, but a lot of other things. This is why you need to get the holistic picture and see what are the environmental exposures. You know, even something like sound pollution could be causing anxiety, right? Or something as, I mean, mercury will cause a lot of things in addition to causing inflammation in the brain and that could lead to anxiety. So I would absolutely agree. You got to look at the whole picture, but that's one of many things that you could be exposed to that cause anxiety. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. Um, you know, it's one of the, it's it's one of those things you got to look at the whole picture. Okay, so do you think genetic testing works alongside the Dutch testing? I think lab tests in general, we we do accept. So Self Decode has the lab testing feature built in there. So if you know, sometimes anxiety could be hormonal, for example, and things like a Dutch tests may be good, right? Or you can get other. You know, you could also check your hormones with regular lab tests, but I think that you the, oh it's always best to have as much of a full picture as possible. Genetics is one of the things, right? That's why you want to look at a whole bunch of things like lab tests. You don't the more of the of a holistic picture you have, the better. Right? So what do you think about that, Dr. Greg? So there is lots of things that can actually inhibit some of those enzymes and the Dutch labs test that someone understands is like dozens of probably 40 different metabolites of different estrogen, cortisol, testosterone. And so, but lots of things can inhibit those enzymes. And so what happens is if you don't know your genetics and you get a Dutch labs done and you see something's off, you don't know, is that a genetic variant or am I being exposed to something that's actually decreasing it? So this is where you build the full picture, get the genetics, the environmental testing, and then get the hormone testing. And then you can kind of put together the full picture to understand what's going on. And that's pretty much it. I think, uh, you know, hopefully we'll do more of these and we can answer more questions. And, uh, you know, I wish you the best and hope your anxiety is able to be overcome. 67% of listeners aren't following the show. So please don't forget to show your support by hitting the follow button now. You'll not only be supporting the show, but also investing in yourself and your health journey, all while helping to keep us ad free.